I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Australian Open semi-finals catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Sitsapas sets up a finals date with Novak Djokovic. Rebekina looks to become a double slam champion. And Sabalenka secures her maiden major singles final. Kim, Chris, today is the 27th of January and we are here to catch up on the semi-finals of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. We now have our finalists set. Sefnos Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic are in the men's final and we have Elena Rabakina and Arena Sabalenka in the ladies' singles final. We've, of course, got some controversy to talk about with Novak Djokovic's dad, but before we get into all that, Chris, I've got to ask, I know I'm on 10 hooks, I know Kim's on 10 hooks, and I know all of our listeners are on 10 hooks. We spoke about you going to the cinema at the start of our last episode. We had to record 15 minutes early. Was it? I, I, well, I really hope it was worth it. So was it? Well, I have to disappoint you oh. there, Joel. Um, it, the subtitles were in Danish. I watched an English <laughs> film, which defeats the purpose of um, living in oh, Copenhagen. I, feel I wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, so do I, Joel. I mean, <laughs> we can both relate on that one. But it was very, very long and quite, um, quite difficult to follow. And it related to a culinary experience. It was called the menu. So had an audience rating of three point five and a critics rating that's very high. So I think maybe um, I fell into the audience category there, but far too long and i'm sorry i made you start 15 minutes earlier <laughs> was it uh, longer or shorter than novak Djokovic against tommy paul that is the question double the length Chris. double the length double the length of that match. <laughs> right well oh. on that note we're already on the tommy paul bashing i feel like no one oh. no one gave him no one gave him a chance even when i gave him Rightly a chance so. and said Djokovic in four you all laughed at me and oh uh, yeah um i'd the Tommy, the Tommy Paul bashing. I think we have to give him his due. He got to a Grand Slam semi final. He may never again. No, I, I mean that's that is harsh. Um, I, it would have been interesting against a different opponent, but Novak Djokovic is the nine times champion. It's the last person you want to play in an Australian Open semi final. He is just making all of his matches uninteresting at the moment, isn't he? Or at yeah. least his last three opponents, Dimonor. Rublev and now Paul, they've just all really crumbled, haven't they, when they've stepped onto the court? Well, at 1 5, 1 5, though, I have to say, he was 1 5 down in the first set, got it back to 5 all. So there was at least a set of entertaining tennis today where he didn't make it quite as straightforward, a little wobble. 
But then, you know, after that little wobble, he lost just three games uh, and was significantly, you know, outclassed Tommy Paul. Um, my my parents were texting me on the old WhatsApp saying, this is bad for tennis. This is bad for <laughs> tennis. Um, there's no competition. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not really sort of interesting, is it? Hopefully the final will be a bit closer. I mean, hopefully a lot closer. Um, we'll get onto that in, in a bit. But Djokovic does have quite a good record in, in Australian Open semi-finals. I and mean, obviously every time he gets there, he goes on to win the tournament. But actually, Joel, you raised an interesting point um, before we started recording. His last four semi-final opponents have been, I would say, not whom you would expect in, in a semi-final or, or have been significantly hampered, haven't they, uh, once Djokovic has got to this stage? Yeah, because obviously we have Tommy Paul this year, Aslan Karatsev in 2021, Lucas Puy as well in, in 2019. And we had, uh, in between there, we had an injured sort of knee injury, um, Roger Roger Federer. Um, and um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was interesting because obviously you're a big Rafa fan and I feel like there's a lot of like tension and annoyance i think at some of the there are, uh, you know questioning the caliber and the quality of some of the semi-final opponents that that no- novak djokovic has had um over the years and you know whether that stat on on semi-finals and, and finals is perhaps flated uh, sorry inflated by the lack of quality of, of opponents arguably that he's he's had to face i mean where do you where do you stand on that in relation to kind of Rafa and um you know the opponents he's had to face I feel in 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 semi-finals yeah I mean I think there's always instances where you just get you know the the top seeds and Mm. someone's come through the draw and they just sort of freeze when they you know come up against the defending champion top seed you know one of the big three and it just doesn't make for a very interesting or exciting match um doesn't always happen like that but certainly I think Rafa's had his fair share of kind of less, uh, you know, or low, lower ranked opponents at the latter stages. And yeah, it's unfortunate for neutrals or people who want um, a closer affair. But I think probably the big three have all benefited from from that throughout their career, you know, at, you know whether it's a Roland Garros or AO. Um, so I, I don't think necessarily Djokovic has had that more than maybe Rafa or any of the others. I think it, it kind of does the rounds. It's sort of part of of how the draws pan out sometimes. But yeah, it's just certainly the last yeah, four that, that Novak's had have have been um yeah, not 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 his most difficult matches, let's let's just say that much. I mean, um, he was trying to make I feel like he was trying to make it, particularly in that first set, a difficult match for him because <laughs> I mean the the stats at the end of it weren't actually that pretty, I think, for for Novak Djokovic. Mm. I know we talk mm. about you know, his last few matches have all been straight sets, have been very easy. Um, but you know he he produced quite a lot of unforced errors um, in that third set. Uh, sorry, in that first set, made it interesting. Yes, it could have been much easier than it was. Um, but yeah, it surprised me. There was that like blip there. I think he maybe got dis. Uh, sorry, he he lost his concentration, and as a result, that the errors started to creep in. Um, I know. I think he was getting frustrated uh, on on court, but. I guess that is the only sort of <laughs> ray of light or, or positivity I think you can take from the performance, maybe going into the final, that Djokovic maybe still has those lapses in com- concentration when, you know, he th- maybe thinks he's so, you know, he's so far ahead and it doesn't seem like it's possible for him to lose. Actually, is that a moment where he, yeah, is is actually a bit vulnerable? 
It's got to give you some hope because the numbers, as you say, were not good in that first set. Um, just having a quick look, there were 12 winners to 24 unforced yeah. errors, very un- uncharacteristic of, of Djokovic. And Tommy Paul didn't play a good set either to get himself back into it. He had eight winners to 19 unforced errors. So it's definitely a case that you will have chances. Um, it, well, there could be chances, I should say. Not you will, because I think Alex de Minar would beg to differ. Um, there could be chances if Djokovic has, drops his level. And also, Tommy Paul didn't necessarily lift his level based on mm. um, some of the stats from that first set. It was kind of a, a both of them sort of going off the boil a bit, um, I think, and obviously playing a bit more of a, uh, running a bit more of a tighter ship for Tommy Paul in that one. But again, I mean, if you if you took the scenario of a 7-5 first set, I think Tommy Paul would be relatively pleased that he made it competitive. But it's a shame that um, after that, Djokovic just ran away with it and his numbers improved dramatically. I mean, one one person we didn't see in this match was Djokovic's dad who had decided uh, whether through his own choice or, or someone else's not to attend the match um, and that was because after his previous rounds match his win over Rublev um, Djokovic's dad surgeon had been seen posing for photographs um, with with Serbian fans who had Russian flags carrying a face of Vladimir Putin and the pro-war symbols, um, which obviously is, is not a good look. Um, that there shouldn't even be Russian flags at, at the site at the Australian Open. Um, all, all this sort of activity going on, and you, you know Novak Djokovic's father being seen with these people, um, obviously an an awful look for for Novak Djokovic, you know, having a, a close family member getting involved in this. We don't really know the ins and outs of it. Um, the Australian Open have obviously briefed players and, and their teams to, to follow the, the policies regarding flags and, and not to get involved with anything. Um, his dad has it came out with a statement to sort of say he didn't mean to cause any disruption and that he was just um, outside of, with Novak's fans, didn't want to get caught up in anything and we only want peace blah 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 um usual kind of pr statement stuff but he said uh, i didn't want to cause any disruption to the semis to, to the semi-final so i i won't be watching um live so obviously this does nothing to help novak Djokovic's reputation which at the best of times is a bit tr- tricky <laughs> um chris what, what did you make of of the sort of pictures and scenes that we that we saw that, that sort of came out after the quarterfinal i do think it's uh, completely inexcusable. Um, I mean, it wasn't like you, he wouldn't necessarily be aware of what the Russian flag looked like. It also had a picture of Putin on the flag. Um, so even going up to them or speaking to them is particularly um, concerning. Um, the intention or the sympathy behind that and what that communicates is is certainly very um, troublesome. Again, they should not have even been able to be in a space where he would have been. Um, that's the only defence I can give there. But we, it is... Um, uh, not necessarily a rare moment of of sympathy for Djokovic for me, but it's something where his his parents don't tend to make situations better for him on his return to Australia, um, having kind of, we thought it would be plain sailing after Adelaide. He was welcomed in Melbourne. And it's almost like his dad just has managed to kind of find a very... um, He's burned out of the water. I mean, he has completely. And now we're back onto the old Djokovic family or a problem and... And the narrative is very much around that. I mean, his um, his mother has also been very outspoken. I mean, she actually said that the Australian government were torturing him last year when he was being um, detained. Uh, so I think it's one where 
um, Djokovic might be a master of um, kind of saying the right thing from a PR perspective on this tour, but it seems like not everyone was in the same press briefing. Yeah, he's had a lot of issues with his parents before, hasn't he? And it, I remember the early days that they used to sort of sit in the box wearing the same T-shirts and kind of standing up and being, I would say, quite sort of aggressive at times, actually. Um, and then I think I think Djokovic at the time, I may be wrong, sort of told them to, to tone it down a bit because I think a lot of people found it a bit un- unseemly. I think Federer told them to tone it down well, as well one yeah, time. Quite right. That famous clip, Be Quiet. Be he quiet. Said to them. Yeah. Um, so this isn't the first time, you know, we've seen his parents kind of causing disruption for him. But it, yeah, it, it's not a good look. It won't do anything to help his reputation, especially not in Australia um, or, or worldwide. But do you think, with you know, his dad ch- chose himself to not be at the semi-finals, um, and we don't know, as you said, whether that was his decision, whether Novak Djokovic had a word with his dad, or even if Tennis Australia, um, you know, got 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 involved and said, you know, this is this is too risky now for you know for you to for you to turn up. What do you think, um, you know, happens in in the final? Do you think his dad will have to stay at home again, or do you think it would be fine for him to, you know? be in in the box cheering on his his um you know his his son i mean it's going to be potentially a historic moment for for novak djokovic it could be a time when he you know reaches 10 um 10 singles titles um down under that could be a monumental moment you know family members would not want to miss out on that so i feel like he his dad is probably wanting to be there and feels compelled to be there but do you expect to see that that happen now I think he'll be there. I think uh, Djokovic isn't necessarily um, known to kind of sort of cave to public pressure. Obviously, last year with the um, we're still talking about it. Unfortunately, the the vaccination question. Um, it would have been very easy not to necessarily take that into the legal process that it went down and just said, you know what, this is um, this is I don't want to get involved in this. Um, and so I think it's a case that he would have then played despite the public outcry being against him if he had been allowed to. So I think it's one where it's advisable that he probably wouldn't attend. But I think from a personal perspective, I think um, he probably would be willing to take the heat because um, he's kind of experienced it before. Um, and I think they're hoping that sitting out the semi-final will will kind of appease the appease the people who were um, Do you rightly, not think it's a safety risk um, though? I mean, it, potentially, but I think... If if he is not there, it will not be a Djokovic uh, camp decision. I think it will be an AO decision. That would be... And uh, whether we find out if it is or not, I don't know. We probably would if it was the AO that, that stopped him from being there. But um, I think you, I think he shouldn't be there. Um, I think that's actually complete, completely against the rules of, of the tournament and the spirit of which tournaments like this are played and keeping it to be a safe environment for players. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think... I think it would be better if he wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the spirit of the tournament. I, I think, yeah, I, I just... Mm. But, you know, maybe maybe that will um, put Novak off, perhaps. Maybe that will be the... I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to suggest anything, but... I do think it has opened up a conversation that I think needs maybe addressing is, is the role of flags and, and, and tennis and supporters, uh, you know, bringing flags into events? Now, I know some events I feel like are not bothered by it and then you get events you know you know i've been going to wimbledon for years and and they are they are not keen on fans bringing um flags in now you know russia and and belarusia uh, sorry russians and belarusians they do not have a flag at the moment when you see on tv it's just kind of a, a white space 
do you think this opens up the conversation on is tennis should tennis be a nationalistic sport if we're if we're banning like russian flags for example and we're not they're not able to do that properly because we're seeing them get into arenas then should we just have a blanket rule that says sorry sorry everyone we can't do this at the moment so therefore we're just gonna remove all flags and arguably you know keep that maybe to davis cup billy jean king cup but on the tour this is not you playing for your nation I mean, pl- flags are just political in their in their essence, really, aren't they? I mean, you can read you can read into flags politically if you want to. So, allowing some flags and not others. Obviously, I, I don't agree that Russian flags should be allowed. Um, I think it's right to ban them. But you could, I mean, you could go the whole hog and ban all flags, not just sort of now, but just maybe if you. I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily. I mean, I'd quite like to be able to bring a Spanish flag in if I want to support Rafa, for example. So I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go. It's just you kind of hope that there are rules in place to maintain respect around symbols and flags. Um, I think with Wimbledon, it's more of, uh, it's big flags is the issue. So you can take small ones in. It's just the big ones. I don't want people waving and blocking viewpoints. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... The problem also happens in terms of how the how the rules are interpreted because there has been incidents as such as in Cincinnati when a Ukrainian fan was actually removed from the site for having the Ukrainian flag whilst watching an all-Russian tennis match. And so I think it's this thing where it's becoming um, an issue and it's becoming more politicised around those, obviously the flags of um, those that are associated with um, the war. And so I think it's very different and the context is very different at different times. Like you, sh- I feel like in America, you cannot have a rule about kind of taking someone's flag away from them. That would, that would be completely um, uh, uh, unacceptable and it would only kind of incite further anger. So um, I think it's a case where this sh- should not have been allowed to happen. And I don't think it's necessarily the fact that flags are the issue. I think it's the demonstrating support for um, the conflict and the, the Z symbol was on the flags and so was Putin and that made it even more clear that this was something that wasn't just supporting someone from the Russian Tennis Federation uh, it was much more something that was ma- made to make a political statement and a, and a disturbance yeah I mean let's 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 see what happens let's see if it's surgeons going to be at the final but um I mean looking at the the final itself it will be Djokovic against Sepinal Sitspas because Sitspas came through against Karen Hatchinov in four sets which I think some of us predicted um so <laughs> both both semis kind of went I think as, as most of us predicted um Sitspas into his second uh, Grand Slam final, uh, and yet again he will face Novak Djokovic. Um, but looking back at the semi itself, it was seven six six four six seven six three, so very close to being three straight sets. Um, but it's past. You know he had two match points in that third set, um, wasn't able to get it done. Hatchinov clinching it, but um, Sitspas went off court, had a little break back onto court, um, quickly went a break up and uh, got the job done. Um, Joel, what did you make of, of this match? Um, and, and going into the final, do you think it's passed based on what you've seen, you know, has any has any chance? Yeah, he uh, did really well, I think, to regroup actually in that fourth set. I didn't think there was much he could do um, in the tiebreak on those match points. Catching off just raised his level, hit a very, very good 
forehand down the line winner um, on one of them and um, yeah was able to to nab it so it was impressive I think to see Sissipas go off collect himself come back on um, and get back to business as usual there was also an incredible point um, I think at four all in the second set um, which uh Kachinov was trying to put away a series of, of smashes that Sissipas was getting back um, and eventually won the point with a big forehand. And, you know, I was impressed generally by his defensive capabilities, his movement around the court. I could see what Kachinov was trying to do in terms of using angles um, and moving his opponent about. But Sissipas just seemed to have so much time on the ball when he was moving towards shots. I mean, his forehand as well was, was in was in a very, very imperious and commanding fashion. And I think for me, the question going into the final will be how much of of Sissipas can he insert of his game onto Novak Djokovic? Because I think in this match against Karen Kachinov, he was allowed, over the majority of the the match, he was allowed to do that. I'm not sure if Novak Djokovic is going to afford him the the same privilege that that Karen Kachinov did. And Chris, what what do you think? Do you think there's any any leeway for, for Sitspass to, to kind of get close in the final? I mean, do you think that French Open final they played where Sitspass was two sets up and lost in five, is that going to weigh on his mind coming into this? Do you think that's going to, is, is there sort of um, damage done to, to the psyche of Sitspass still festering perhaps from, from that final? Well, I'll tell you something that was quite interesting that I saw today was that in an interview when um, Djokovic was asked about um, playing Sitspass in the final, he actually was quoted as saying, he's never made the finals of a Grand Slam, am I wrong? Uh, completely forgetting on Djokovic's part that he actually played him and was down two sets to love <laughs> in Paris in 2021. Um, to which Sitspass replied that he'd actually forgotten about it as well, um, which I think he, that might be wishful thinking. But it's um, clearly not weighing on Djokovic's mind and... Uh, I think maybe those comments might just kind of uh, make Sitsipas kind of remember a bit more. But I would say it's good that he's had that experience in a final um, would be the positive side of it, that he was able to go out there and start a final really well. I think when it gets close, that might be something where um, it could become a bit dicey. But I think Sitsipas is playing differently to how he played last year. Um, he, the basics of his game were working really well. He had 18 aces. Uh, he was doing really well behind his first serve, winning 84% of points. And then his, his numbers on winners to errors, it was almost double, 66 winners to 34 unforced errors. So this isn't Sitsipas playing a little bit defensively or not going for his backhand and kind of overusing the slice like we've seen him do sometimes on, on the return and blocking returns. This is much more aggressive against an already aggressive baseliner. So I think he's in a better position to challenge Djokovic than he was in 2021 in the final in Paris. Um, but I do think it will be a tall order. But I, I actually think that this one, I'm not sure which way I would call this um, because I do think that Djokovic is the favourite, but we've seen very strange things in finals like that Medvedev US Open. Um, we've seen kind of, there are moments when maybe he isn't as... Um, uh, kind of clear thinking in finals. He's made it sometimes a bit more difficult, such as 2021 Roland Garros. Um, so I think it's not, not not as clear cut as we think. And it's definitely, um, it's not a case of a Tommy Paul versus Novak Djokovic situation. I think this will be maybe even five sets. I think it will be really a tough one. And I'm, I'm not sure I want to give a prediction. Kim, you raised a good point, actually, because there is history, I guess, on the line here. And you could look back to that US Open final against Medvedev when you know, he had the chance of holding all four Grand Slams in the calendar year and he just 
buckled under that pressure. So is there, you know, an argument to say that given, you know, what is on the line here, the fact that he could also move equal with with Nadal in terms of overall number of Grand Slam titles, do you think that would potentially weigh on him and, and potentially upset his performance? Yeah, I think obviously that 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 final with Daniel Medvedev, the US Open uh, 2021, we didn't really see the Novak Djokovic we, we expect, and that was because he was going for all four slams in the calendar year. I think he was going for the most slams ever, and that seemed to get to him and freeze him up somewhat. I think going for it to kind of equal a record is different to going to break it, so I, I don't expect him to be in the same, like, maybe sort of, mental rut that he might have been in that final um but but perhaps perhaps it you know it could well do um but i i don't think so i think that was quite a unique circumstance because it was almost two records on the line then um and we know how mentally strong djokovic is generally um it's very very rare that we we see a blip like we see him getting a bit annoyed and rattled but generally he'll, he'll pull it together and come out you know ever so strong so it was something that was running through my mind but I don't think in this scenario it's going to have have as much of an impact personally yeah I think yes it's it's tough I did enjoy though Karen Kachinov uh in his press conference after the Sissipas match saying uh maybe Sissipas should give Daniel Medvedev a call and ask him what he did on that day at the US Open and I just thought yeah I don't I don't think that's gonna happen based on the the frostiness of their, I think, relationship between, uh, yeah. Or if it does happen, I'm not sure he'll give you the right answer. <laughs> or I just don't think that Daniel Medvedev would would pick up the phone, <laughs> or he'd put it down straight away. Probably there would be no one. No one would answer that call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm still going to. Yeah, Djokovic hands down sort of favourite for for me. It'll be interesting to see how close Sitsipas can can try to get it, um, but. <sighs> Yeah, I think it's just going to be Sitspass again being almost the nearly man. I mean, he hasn't beaten Djokovic since 2019 at the Paris Masters. Um, you know, they've had a couple of five-setters in that time. But the last few times they've played, it's... Well, you know, last year in Paris, it did come down to a last-set mm. tie-break. But I just I can't see it over five sets, given their, you know, the... Yeah, given Novak on this court, you know, he's very much at home. He's going for his 10th title. So, um yeah, it's it's the final we all predicted. Let's that's all we can say. We can we can at least be smug about we that. We can say that exactly. <laughs> yes, well done we everyone. <laughs> On that smug note, let's have a very quick break, uh, but we'll be back in the second half looking at both of the ladies' semi-finals, so do not go anywhere. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to look at the ladies' semi-finals, which saw uh, Elena Rabakina against Victoria Azarenka and also Magda Lynette against Arena Sabalenka. Do we have to look back on that one? What? Uh, Lynette Sabalenka, is that because GoatNet <laughs> is over, Joel? Goat, uh, the GoatNet train, yes. Well, as you've mentioned that, let's start with Magda Lynette and Arena Sabalenka. Um because, yeah, as, as we've alluded to, Magdalena is well and truly out now of the Australian Open. Her dream run has come to an end uh, at the hands of Sabalenka. I wanted it to end after that first game when she broke Sabalenka. And I think everyone everyone's eyebrows was, were maybe raised to be like, oh, OK, this is this this might be happening. It wasn't going to get any better for Lynette. No, that, unfortunately <laughs> not. Yeah, but she wasn't phased, though, was she? She got off to really, um, really good start breaking in that first game, and, and you know that, which was great to see that she wasn't sort of in. You know, sometimes players get to the you know their only Grand Slam semi final, and well, they've never been at that stage before, and they just self combust. So you know, she was very um, un, unfazed by, by it all. But Sabalenka really just doing what she has been doing this whole year so far and, and coming through in, in straight sets and, and being proving far too strong on the day. Um, Chris, what, what did you make of this encounter? Hmm. Well, I did see, you know, the early break going to Lynette and I thought, hang on a minute, maybe all of Joel's dreams will come true. Um, <laughs> and that then he can steep, he can keep using goat net long into the weekend potentially. Um, but unfortunately that phrase will have to be retired unless the kind of another dream run goes on. Um, but no, I think it was, um, a better contest than in that first set than I think some of us might've predicted. I think it was good to see that Lynette made the most of the opportunity that she had by kind of, she broke, um, and early on, you know, she wasn't intimidated by uh, the situation. And when she got broken back, she stayed really competitive all the way to the tie break. I actually think the standard of both semifinals, despite being straight sets, was very high. I think it was a great kind of platform for, for women's tennis because it was really strong play from everyone. And it was very, very competitive, even though the sets did go um, kind of all in the same way of, of one player in each semi. But I think the level was great. I think... Sabalenka, it only reaffirms the fact that she is a different player um, when it comes to those clutch moments. Only two double faults, um, which is almost unbelievable. Uh, but even in those kind of clutch moments in that first set, you know, she's been in semifinals before and they've run away from her um, to steady the ship and then almost bulldoze her way through um, in, that, in that second set. I think, yeah, it's very impressive that she don't let her get ahead of you is all I can say. Yeah, she didn't panic, I think, in that first set when, yeah, perhaps she was going in expecting it to be maybe a bit of a stroll. But, you know, she really stepped it up, I think, in that tie break and, and didn't look back. So I think you can see the confidence that she, she, she's playing with. And maybe she didn't start the way she wanted to start. But I think what was what pleased me was how she didn't let that eat into her game. She didn't worry. She didn't panic. And it, it eventually, the, a power, I think, just kind of 
ultimately overwhelmed Lynette. And although she was doing her best, it was really hard for her to, I think, assert her game when Sabalenka was just hitting winners, you know, from the from the baseline. Winners for fun almost, Joel. But mm. the question I ask you, given your um, your love of Magda, is, is how will this year go for her? Where do you think you'll see her ranked? And will she be taking home um, a Grand Slam and overtaking Eager in the rankings? <laughs> what do we think? Well, I think she can certainly close the gap with Iga Sviantec in terms of rankings. I think, you know, this has been a, an, an amazing run um, from her. I think... She can certainly work her way up the rankings and you know win a win a title on on the tour. I think she's got a an all court game that again I think suits her well. Going to suit her well across the whole season. I get, I just see her being very kind of consistent with standout results here and there, and I think this will be of course one of the standout results of her season this year, but also probably of her career as well. Yeah, I think um, it's it's. I don't know if it's going to lead to her suddenly progressing up the rankings, or if it's just a one-off. Because mm. we do see, you know, that sometimes players don't don't go on after this sort of deep run at a slam. I would like to see her work more with Agnieszka Radvanska because I think mm. they have been working. You know, I've seen you know been seeing on on the TV Radvanska in the in the crowds. Um, in I think in Lynette's box actually. Uh, you know, this week, um, and I, I think that's a really nice, you know, and on the courts, Joel, and on the well, exactly, yeah, in the in the ladies, in the ladies, um, what masters doubles, yes, um, legends, yes, picking up the title <laughs> with Hanchikova, but I, I we do, love to see it. I do like the, I do like that sort of dynamic there, and I wonder if, yeah, there's opportunities for Radvanska to come into Lynette's um, team a, a bit more because I think that's been very fruitful this tournament. So the other semi-final, we saw Elena Rabakina, the Wimbledon champion of last year, up against Vika uh, Azarenka, former champion, former two-time AO champion. Um, I thought in my predictions that I think Azarenka might have come through this in three sets, perhaps. Um, I thought we were going to see a resurgence, her winning the title maybe 10 years on from her last. But it was not to be because Rabakina came through in straight sets in the end. Uh, Quite a a sort of up and down first, first set. I think Azarenka went a break up, Rabakina broke back, then broke again to serve for it. Couldn't do so. It all went to a tie break, which she did get the job done eventually. Then she went an early break up in the second and uh, managed to to close it out uh, 6-3 in that set in the end to, to, to edge out Azarenka. Um, Chris, what did you make of, of this one and, and Rabakina's performance? Did it did it live up to the billing that this match and these two, two opponents going to head, head to head? I think the only thing, and obviously I've said this before, that it didn't live up to was that third set. It was the pitched as the ultimate battle between the best server on the WTA, arguably at the moment, um, especially at this tournament, versus one of the best returners um, I think we've ever seen in the game. So it did lend itself very nicely to that. And the stats do show that um, the numbers on on the serve and the return were very much typical of that, that Azarenka was able to get a lot more balls back in court than some of um, Rabakina's opponents that she's played so far. Um, I think there were moments when Rabakina's level was just scary high. And I think the biggest difference that I've seen compared to kind of the Wimbledon performance last year is that she has made these improvements in her game, especially her movement, her footwork when she's lining up for her backhand, which is her biggest weapon was almost like pinpoint. Um, And she was winning points that she wasn't necessarily in the position to win uh, previously because you could take her kind of out, out wide and she might have to kind of go for broke, but she was getting herself back in and winning some of the, the longer points. So 
I think it showed great improvement from her. I think for the Azarenka side of things, um, she is able to play at that level, but it's it's very hard to play at that level for you know a, an hour and a half. Um, and there were moments when her focus was so locked in and she was hitting these fantastic shots. But it's just it's just a couple a couple here and there um, that can make the difference. And the final thing I'll say on Rebecca is that she did start going very big, and then she kind of just took some pace off the ball as the um, as the match went on, which I thought was tactically quite interesting because we know that Azarenka really enjoyed playing Serena and someone who hits the ball very hard. And it felt like she was just kind of taking away. Mm. Playing within herself a little bit. Yeah. And then the ball wasn't coming back so quickly at her, giving her more time. So I think it was quite interesting that she went from trying to hit her off the court to actually hanging in the points a bit longer, which is um, kind of a a really big uh, change in her game. Do you think she can do this, a similar thing against Sabalenka and disrupt her? I think I think she probably could. Um, I think it will need to be front, more front foot tennis than against Azarenka. I think you've got to get that strike in so that um, it's going to be first strike tennis. Whoever gets that first one in will get the upper hand in the point. I think it will be a challenge. Um, I think that we did ask the question uh, kind of on, on the social feeds as to who we thought um, would get this one. And people are leaning towards um, Rabakina for this one, which I was slightly surprised by um, the weighting of that. I think it was 63% pe- of people think that um, Rabakina will get the win here. Oh, 65%, sorry. And um, you can see why, because she has got all the weapons. Um, one final thing I will say is that it's very interesting that if she is to win Rabakina, then it'll be the first time that two players have split the Grand Slams since the end of 2003, when it was Serena and Justin Ennen that split them. So that could be an interesting rivalry moving forward of Iga and um, Elena, but that would be a bit of a turn up for the books in, in recent years for the WTA. It would be, wouldn't it? I was thinking that that would be quite, you know, the last four slams all being taken by just two players. And I, I, I agree, actually, with our, our poll, I think, because Re- Re- Rebecca has, has got that slam under her belt. I'd, I'd have to go with that extra bit of experience um, in, in the finals. I know Sabalenkin's been playing, you know, lights out all year. But I, I do think that just being a champion already stands for an awful lot. Do you find it surprising we're talking about Rabakina in the final? I know she's come through. I mean, I look at her journey actually to the final and it's it's impressive. She's had to, you know, knock out uh, quite a few, uh, you know, previous Grand Slam champions, Azarenka, um, Ostapenko, Svantec. Um, But, you know, she came into this season. I think she lost, similar to Azarenka, I think she lost both her... Um, in the first round of the of her warm up events was zero and two. She did actually get. She actually did win her first round in Adelaide. Oh, sorry. Where she beat Danielle Collins, who she he played again, and then she lost to Marta Kostuk in Adelaide one. Sorry, right. But but I guess my point is, are you surprised that after Wimbledon, she, I feel like she went in in. You know, when we didn't really hear much about her, it wasn't like she continued. I think that momentum and, and you know picked up you know, a few tour titles. Um, do you think she just has like a really big game for, for Grand Slams and that makes her a threat and, and really, really dangerous, um, you know, regardless of what form she's showing on the tour? She's a player who, from, I read an article um, actually whilst I was on a, a flight yesterday from her coach and uh, he was explaining that I think they take a really interesting approach to her development where they're more focused on 
um, the gains that she'll make off the court in terms of she's now lifting weight, she's now doing some different training, she's working on her footwork, really working on her forehand, um, working on moving forward in the court. So I think it was a case where the early losses, I think it's more because she's finally had a training block post the Wimbledon roller coaster, and then obviously not a great um, lead in to the hardcore season where coming into um, this this season in Australia, I think she's trying to put some of those new things into play. And so I think it's more about learning on the court and getting better as a whole rather than just getting wins um, so that you are in a better position when you are in the slam. So I think she's actually timed it pretty well that she's tried out some new things. She's getting used to the, the new game she has in competition. And um, she's obviously a big match player. Um, and I think that's something which is, which is underrated on the tour because I think we've had a lot of people... Um, especially on the men's side who aren't big match players. And I think it's um, it's great that she can show kind of a lot of people that um, almost that Serena Williams approach where you don't have to be in form because you've got the game um, to challenge anyone, I think is, is very dangerous in her. So who do you think has the bigger game uh, going into the final, Sabalenka or Rabakina? Because they both, they both hit a pretty mean ball. I would have to say the thud that you hear when Rebecca connects with that backhand is something else. I think the top spin, there's a bit more top spin on some of Sabalenka's shots. Um, so kind of they, she plays closer to the lines at the back sometimes. I think um, if I had to say, I think the noise that you get from a Rebecca mm. shot is just a little bit more um, uh, kind of a bit louder, a bit scarier, I'd say. But um, <laughs> the physical presence of Sabalenka, I think that's, she has a a bigger stature. Yeah, I'd say I'd say Sablenka definitely is more intimidating. I think on intimidating a tennis court, but as you said, the the shots and the power that Rabakina possesses can can be times at times really really hard to stop. Yeah, I think it's it is a close one. Um, I think purely because of the aggression given in performance. I would, I feel like Sabalenka is, mm. um, but that's because I think just her persona around the game. The grunting. Yes, the I think it adds extra force, whereas Rebecca is a yes. bit more, um, not sedate, but she's just a bit more like contained, isn't she? And therefore, I guess it's almost like more of a stealthy kind of, um, <laughs> you know. A silent assassin. Yeah, exactly right. So that, that's my that's my take. But, um, but maybe we should do some predictions for the... Um, for the final or both finals um so let's go through how many sets and what, what's your winner um chris rabakina sabalenka tell us i think it's going to be rabakina and i'm going to say in two joel rabakina in three. Oh, i'm gonna go for rabakina in three as well Ooh, I can't well, all of us Rebecca. have gone for That's quite surprising because Sabalenka's obviously not dropped a set, but we've all turned our yeah. back on her. It's hard because yeah. the, the, the form, and yet, I mean, Sabalenka's not dropped a set yet this season. This year. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. really impressive. But if she does drop a set, how would you respond? That might be also interesting, but I do right? Think, I do exactly. think you look at the, as I say, the quality of opponents that Rebecca has had to face at this Australian Open, and I, I would say it's it's been higher. Higher, I agree. Yeah, had and she's had face. really good game plans as well. I think mm. she really executed her game plans well. I think rather than Sabalenka, where it's kind of she's almost just stuck to Plan A and until it started working. Yeah, I I agree. Um, well, so that's the women. Uh, Djokovic against Sitsipas. 
Joel, tell us. <sighs> Djokovic in four. Four. Interesting. Chris? I am going to take a different approach. Everything that I think has happened or I've said out loud hasn't <laughs> happened. So I'm going to say, what do I, what do I think might not happen? Um, which will be correct. So I'm going to say sit to pass in five. <gasps> I'm going to go Djokovic in three. I've got no um, faith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Um, will he get more games than Tommy Paul, Kim? That's the question. Oh, yes, for sure. I think so. I don't think it's going to be an obliteration, but strange things have happened. Yeah, I think I think there might be a tie break. I think it might be a seven, five, six, four job, but I don't think ones and twos. So we'll be back um, on Sunday to wrap up um, the the outcome of those finals, see how accurately uh, those predictions uh, turn out in the end. Um, also, we'll have some doubles results to wrap up as well as the results from the wheelchair events and collect a set and collect a set yeah we'll be getting in touch with the the players including myself uh for whom the, <laughs> the tiebreak question applies so do look out had to for, put it um, in there kim didn't you yeah <laughs> uh, yeah maybe i'll end up winning something won't get that wooden spoon um we did have a mixed doubles final though um didn't we that took place already and we did have a win in that for uh, Matos and Stefani, Brazilian pairing, uh, who have teamed up this year um, for the first time. And they are seven and zero uh, for this year. They, they they won both their matches at the United Cup and, and here as well. So they beat Bapana and Sanya Mertza um, to get that, that mixed doubles title. So good on them. And maybe Sabalenka will continue her unbeaten run as well as the Brazilians. Yeah, I think that's a shame for Mertzer because I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is she retiring after this tournament? Um... She is. She is. Um, and what's really nice about this is that um, her first ever mixed doubles partner was Bopana 22 years ago wow. when she was 14. Wow. And wow. he's now, I think he's 42 or something. So... Um, I'm not sure how they managed it. Maybe everyone just thought they're so likable. Maybe we'll just <laughs> we'll let them get through to <laughs> I mean, the final. That is very impressive. Matos and Stefani were like, no way. <laughs> are, we, are we losing this opportunity? But <laughs> still great that you can bow out, you know, still showing that you've got, got the game to challenge the best in, in mixed doubles. Yes. And we're going to see who's going to bring their A game in the finals on our final finals catch up on Sunday. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come in Melbourne. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Sunday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our finals round by round catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.